Welcome to the Eat to Live podcast. I am here with my amazing father, Dr. Furman. Hi, I'm Joel Furman, Dr. Furman, here with my amazing daughter, Jenna Furman. Oh, that's me. <laughs> Today we are talking about a very hot topic, something I talk to many people who are converting or interested about health and nutrition, and that is salt, sodium, high blood pressure, and strokes. Right. It's a good subject. People have to learn about this. So Dr. Furman, honestly, people get really touchy about salt and sodium because I was doing a lot of research for this episode and it seems like it's a really big part of culture and, and even ancient civilizations, which we hear about a lot, mm, right. which is fascinating. So from my research, basically, I learned that people have been adding salt to their meat and stuff and curating that stuff and adding salt to people's diets. Humans have been doing that for over 5,000 years. Wow, 5,000 years. Pretty Which good. sounds like, here's the disclaimer, sounds like a very, very long time. Ancient civilizations. However, when you look at the entire history of humans on the planet Earth, we've been around for 5 million years about. Wow. Or so, even 100,000 years, whatever it is. It's like the, 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 the oh, they're saying, 5,000 years is irrelevant they're say, yes. compared to the genetic change of the human species. Right. So when you think about us doing it in ancient times, you're like, whoa, but then you realize humans have not been doing that very long at all in right. retrospect. That's right. For 999% of human existence, there's been no added sodium to the human diet. And then before that, you have primitive man and then other primates that do not salt their food. Right. So just to throw it back to and the And by history. the way, can I just interrupt that for a oh, second? Sure. Because just because there have been populations that have salted their food for thousands of years, there's also been many populations around the world and around the earth that haven't salted their food at all. Even today, there are populations and primitive populations living all over the world that never use salt in their food, and we can track the outcome of those populations and see what happens. And what happened? They're all dead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they all died when they were 20 years old. So what happened, Doc? <laughs> well... One thing people, people think about yeah. is they know that salt eating raises blood pressure, right? No, I, I don't think people know that, actually. Oh. Well, one of the factors in which salt increases risk of heart attack death and stroke death is the fact that it raises blood pressure, and the high blood pressure then accelerates risk of both heart attack and strokes. That's one um, mechanism via which salt shortens lifespan. Wait, I just want to comment on this fact. And when I was researching, I mean, I know what you've been telling me since I was a wee lad about salt and sodium, and it right. hasn't been a big part of my diet. However, when I was researching this, I was looking at people add salt. I mean, salt shakers are such a big thing before they even try their food. It's such a part of our culture, but it is pretty unanimously. The evidence is so clear when I'm not just from you, but from other physicians, from research articles that I was looking at. Salt for sure raises blood pressure a lot. Yes. However, I mean, we went into two questions. First, he asked me what happened to those primitive population, which I'll get to. I'm not going okay. to remember that question. Yeah. And the fact that now we're talking about salt raises blood pressure. But we know that um, blood pressure raising means that you're having damage to the endothelial lining of blood vessels. You're damaging and aging your body prematurely. And you're that pushing you on them, like the extra pressure? Oh, well, it's not just extra pressure. And salt damages and ages blood pressure and ages brain cells, irrespective of its effect on raising blood pressure. When you're raising blood pressure, yes, you're resulting in more stiffening of the blood vessels. Um, salt does cause microvascular hemorrhages and it irritates the endothelium. It also increases inflammation in the endothelial lining, decreasing nitric, oxida, nitric oxide production and creating more reactive oxygen species 
which is this um, the cause of most chronic disease, is a build of more reactive oxygen species, more free radicals. So salt accelerates aging of the body and aging of the brain, and it actually damages brain cells. So it damages, it damages the blood vessels in the brain, leading to this cerebral microvascular damage, increasing risk of dementia before a person has a stroke or dies. So there's lots of different mechanisms via which salt accelerates aging of the body. And the question about salt in primitive populations, we find that in populations that don't salt their food at all, like tribes living in the Amazon jungle in the northern part of Brazil and southern part of Venezuela, these people have lived for centuries and centuries where they never added salt to their food. And they find that the blood pressure of children is the same as the blood pressure of the most elderly members of those communities. And that compared to other tribes that have been exposed to humans who salt their food and start to salt their food, we see the blood pressure raise in children and start to go up. So we're seeing that populations that salt their food are seeing damage to the endothelial lining and to the blood vessels starting in childhood. The damage starts right away when you Super salt early. your food. Wow. And the risk of having a cardiovascular death or a stroke death caused by sodium intake is related to your lifetime exposure to sodium. Most correlates best with your lifetime exposure to sodium. That means even the sodium you consumed as a child has an effect on contributing to the, your heart attack death or your stroke death when you're 70 or 80 or 90 years old. You always said yeah. it's what we do in our youth and as children that really actually do still impact us and greatly impact us down the road. Right, and so all children biased. all children at the age of 10 years of old, 10 years of age in the Western countries, the United States, have blood pressures that are excessively high, even though they're not considered high blood pressure, but they're still higher. The, the tribe I'm talking about, I have written down right here, is called the Yanomamo Indian tribe, and the average blood pressure of the, of the population, the same average blood pressure in children, is the same average blood pressure in the 60 and 70 year olds in the population, which is 95 over 63, is their average blood pressure. Now you look at average blood pressures of 10 year olds in the United States, and their average blood pressure will be 100, 110, 120, will be, will be higher than that. It won't be 95 or 90 or 90. Right. So we're seeing, and this is why some people can claim, oh, salt eating doesn't matter, is because they're looking at salt eating in the last five years of life where the person just had 55, 65, 70 years of having too much salt, and then they, because they develop high blood pressure, then their doctor tells them to cut back on salt, and it may not have the most, the largest effect at reducing cardiovascular death because they've been on a high salt diet for 70 years already. So we went through this because it's like their pack years, because it's yeah. what you do over the course of your entire life that is really impacting you down the road. Same, that's right, same thing with pack years, and same thing with DHA deficiency why people will argue, oh, it's not going to help you. They could show a study where people are taking DHA for a year or two. Well, they waited till they were 75, 80 years old, and the brain shrinkage starts from DHA deficiency when you're in your 30s and 40s. Right. Before you have, when you first start to get memory loss at age 65, you already got shrunk brain cells from for 20, 30 years. Right. So it's, your, it's, it's, it's the lifetime exposure. In other words, the sooner you fix this, the better. You can't wait till you have advanced damage. And this is why people are confused about the science. 
Well, it's so confusing, too, because, like, let's go back to ancient civilizations. There was good in salting their food because it preserved meat. It allowed them to feed villages and and get away with that stuff, right? But what I was also researching is the diet there, the diets then did not have any processed food. So if you look at, they're like, okay, it was a little bit of added sodium. When you talk about what processed food and how much added sodium, salt, and garbage is in our stuff, we're now becoming, the salt in our diet is about, like, 80 times what adding a little salt to preserving meat would do. Well, yeah, but they're still not ideal diets they were eating back then. Yeah, not we, saying, we ha- right. We have the science today to make diets that are, that, so we can live to be 97 to 107 years old and not have to worry about strokes and heart attacks. Why not do it better than their ancestors could have done? Totally, you know? but even so, like, if you think, oh, it's so great, we're, you know, our ancestors salt, there's so much misinformation around salt. Like, you think that your body needs it and you'll, be peeing all the time without it or that you will you'll lose all your fluids like what what are i see questions all the time about people with salt because they they're scared to have a diet without excess salt and i just want to be really clear when we talk about salt you're not saying all sodium is dangerous there's sodium in naturally occurring food we're talking about excess added salt to our food right, right? just like we have sugar in, in fruit there's sodium and the amount of sodium humans need in fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts contain sodium but they all have less than half a milligram of sodium per calorie. So if you eat 1,000 calories, you're getting less than 500 milligrams of sodium. If you eat 2,000 calories, you're getting less than 800 milligrams of sodium. It's always less than half a milligram of sodium per calorie. So natural foods have low amounts of sodium. That's the amount that the human body needs. It's the sodium that we're consuming over and above what food gives us, what natural foods give us, that causes disease. Right. And let's just look at this for one second because the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology recommends that people with heart disease and high blood pressure cut their sodium back to 1,500 milligrams a day maximum, which includes what's in food and the excess they add. Okay, so total. Right, the total is 1,500 milligrams. And I have to say two things about that. Number one, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) What? That's like telling a person with lung cancer to cut back on smoking. You you got lung cancer, you shouldn't smoke. Mm-hmm. If smoking causes lung cancer, then nobody should smoke, and they should stop smoking as children, not wait till they get lung cancer, tell them to quit. Right. If sodium is bad for people with heart patients, then they should stop it as children and not wait till they get heart disease to stop their sodium. The right. whole thing is the stupidest thing, because the time they're stopping the sodium, you already have heart disease. It's And that heart disease took 30, 40, 50 years to be caused by a high sodium diet. So See, number one... I have a question. You're okay. saying they only recommend 1,500 milligrams for heart disease patients, but everyone else, they're like, oh, they don't have fine? any. They don't have any instructions to anybody else. But when you have heart disease, cut back oh. to 1,500 milligrams. The whole thing is ridiculous. Plus, the studies show that as you go from 3,000 to 2,000, all the way down to 1,000, you see cardiovascular deaths and stroke deaths diminish. Well, cardiovascular death really includes stroke deaths because it's a form of cardiovascular disease. But in any case, you see diminishing in deaths as people cut back from 2,000 to 1,500 to 1,000. They arbitrarily chose 1,500 because they thought that's what Americans or the people they're advising might be able to do. They thought if they gave them the ideal, which is 1,000 or below, then people wouldn't be able to do it. Because going back to what I was researching on the internet, you know, Mm -hmm. you're like one of the only people that says like, hey, watch your sodium intake. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be adding it to everything. And and it's everywhere. You shouldn't be adding it to anything. To anything, Right. right. And it's in everything. But so I'm looking on the internet and like the research is everywhere. It's like lower salt intake, lower, lower cardiovascular deaths. Right. So I'm like, why do people not talk about this? It blows my mind. Yeah. Well, you know, people who are addicts and people who want to eat meat will give up, will show studies that eating meat doesn't really lead to much increased death. 
And they can prove a study with that because they are comparing meat eating to people who eat less red meat and now eat more chicken. And because switching from meat to chicken doesn't decrease stress, look, red meat is okay. They, they switched to, or eggs are not bad because they had less eggs and they had more processed white flour carbohydrates and then reduce risk of death. The whole thing is ridiculous. They can always find a study to convince this person that wants to eat meat or wants to eat sodium or wants to have ice cream or wants to do anything they want or wants to continue smoking cigarettes. We could, we could always convince, have some group of people is going to try to find some data to it's advocate. not that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you have an, a, a scientific viewpoint and want to collect all the data available and not just pick the data that you to support a viewpoint, mm -hmm. then you can't deny the comprehensive major effect that sodium has on major deaths. And let me just say, the World Health Organization put together a 150 scientists to look at the issue, and these have no, they're not scientists connected with the sodium industry or the anti-sodium industry, and let's just see what they found. This was a study published in 2023, March 9th of 2023. They advocated that all UN-associated countries dramatically reduce their sodium intake by 30% by 2025 to save 7 million lives, and that the Global Burden of Disease study in 2019 showed that about 22% of all deaths worldwide can be attributed to bad diet and predominantly, predominantly high sodium intake. That One of the nice. major. So we're talking about many millions of people dying each year, millions and millions of people dying each year from sodium intake, while there are people advocating people should add to, that it's not gonna make a difference. But Add I'm salt. saying the, the, the world, the um, preponderance of evidence and the, all the corroborating evidence and the, and the overall conclusion of scientists who look at this um, question as a full-time job all understand the necessity for people to avoid yes. added sodium on their food. For sure. And that's what I was so surprised, like just hearing you say it my whole life and not really seeing it like on the internet and other places. When I'm researching the science, I'm like, oh, it's so obvious. It's very in your face. This should be widely accepted. And then it goes back to what I was looking at as well. Wait, I need to wait. You reminded me of something that I wanted to bring up. Sodium. The, oh, okay. This was it. See, I held my thought. Um, you hear that sugar has like all these addictive properties and like can rewire your brain and is super mm. addictive. But what all of these articles were also saying was that sodium and excess salt is super addictive. So that kids who ha yes. have salt very early in life, like it just keeps piling up. It's a super addictive substance as well. Crazy. It's super addictive. And how many people know that sodium causes obesity? Causes, and alters your taste buds. Alters your taste buds, deadens your taste sensation, makes you require more sodium, but it leads to more fat deposition, more body weight, and more desire to overeat calories. Salt is a major factor stimulating the apostat, and salt is a major factor letting the body hold more fat to dilute the, um, the inflammation caused by the extra sodium. So just like we're talking about poisons and pesticides and chemicals causing people to gain weight, sodium causes weight gain in the same way, making the body retain more fat. Wow. And, and also this person who's acclimated to a high sodium diet, they're pushing out sodium all the time through their sweat, through their breathing, and through their urine. They have to cut- What about tears? Is that true too? Yes, and through their tears. But a tear is not a major source of sodium loss. But in any case, when the body has to excrete all the excess, excess sodium consumed, it doesn't just isolate and take out the extra sodium. It removes other minerals in the process and other nutrients in the process. Oh, so you're like losing nutrients. You're losing you nutrients. You're losing minerals all the time. So salt's taking out more with it, essentially. Of course. So if you're, let's say, an athlete who eats a lot of salt, you're gonna legs are going to cramp up when you sweat. And you're going to, because you're, when you're losing your sodium, you lose all your potassium, you lose magnesium, you lose silicone, magnesium, you're going to lose a lot of chromium, you're going to lose other new minerals that come out with the extra sodium you're getting out rid of. 
and you're going to have to think about taking electrolyte replacement drinks. But when you're not on a low salt diet, you don't produce salt in your sweat and you don't produce salt in your, and your body is great at holding, it's trained to hold on to sodium, mm. to maintain our body's sodium stable. So now I can exercise, run a marathon, bike in the heat, play a tennis match, you know, go on for hours sweating, and I'm not gonna drop my sodium, my legs are not gonna cramp up, okay. and you're not gonna, and, you, and you're just gonna have to place water. We're not, you don't have to replace salt and electrolytes, because we're not losing salt and electrolytes, because our body has acclimated to a favorably, to a lower, lower sodium diet. Wow, so you're saying when once we keep having all this sodium, it's gonna cause us to sweat out the sodium more and take more minerals and stuff that we wanna save when we're working out. And we wanna save those minerals for good health. Right. It increases our, it, it strips the body of nutrients just like sugar strips the body of B vitamins and sodium strips the body of minerals. So is there ever, you know, I've seen patients of yours be super concerned when you're like, you need to cut out the excess salt and they're nervous. Like, why are they so nervous? Have you, do you know why? Well, it's highly addicting. It's one of the, they're, they come here for us to help them and they're salt addicts like sugar addicts. Mm. And the way to get over their salt addiction is to get them off salt so they can have their taste muscle return and come back. And over time, which usually takes a week of feeling fatigue from their salt withdrawal. And don't forget, when they first come in here, we're giving them no, no extra sodium in their diet. Now they're right. used to being on a high sodium diet, right? Right. We're talking like thousands, potentially thousands of milligrams a day. Like right, I, I turn over some packages at Whole Foods, like yeah. ramen or like healthy pho, and I look, or just veggie broth even, and I'll look at it and I'm like, huh, 980 milligrams, whole right. day right there. And that's not even, that's just excess. That's not even in the food, other foods we eat. Right, right. So let's say they're consuming three or 4,000 milligrams of sodium, and now they're coming here and they're eating, and they're, what's in the food is 700 milligrams. Right. So they went from 3,000 to 1,000, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Their body is still putting a little sodium out in the urine. It didn't adjust. It didn't suddenly fix the kidney and fix the sweat. Every time. Right? <laughs> Every time. They're sweating. <laughs> uh, okay, but anyway, so they're, so they're going to be, their body sodium is going to go down to a level that's going to cause them more fatigue. So when they switch, so they're going to feel uncomfortable as they first acclimate to a load of sodium intake. Like they're detoxing from anything. That's... Like detox. Yeah, yeah. But it's really that their body is still not taking in sodium and they're losing excess sodium. So they're temporarily becoming hyponatremic. Their body level of sodium in their blood is temporarily dipping oh, wow. until their kidney learns to, learns to hold on to sodium better. So they'll become more fatigued while they acclimate to the lower sodium intake and thinking they're feeling too tired, they need more sodium, their blood pressure's going you know, too low or whatever it is, so. Because they're retraining their body to be They're retraining the body to acclimate to a lower sodium intake. Wow. And then by week two, they're starting to feel better. The fatigue is going away. But by week three, over time, the body will acclimate to a lower sodium intake and the kidneys will stop releasing so much electrolytes. So right. it's part of the detox process. And it's one of the reasons people feel the addictive sensation of trying to come off sodium. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, as someone that grew up not eating a ton of excess sodium, whenever I eat at a restaurant, my I'm kept up at night because my mouth is so dry and I'm just like a water machine. Like I need to be pumping water into my mouth. And I know if the food was highly salted because my body starts like reacting so different. You can, if you listen to your body, it's so sensitive. Well, people who regularly eat sodium all the time don't get super thirsty like that because they're That's used to, crazy. it should be you and I, because we're not generally eating a lot of sodium. Well, if we had something with a lot of sodium, then our body wouldn't be excreting it as as, as easily. Just like the person who comes in on a, from a high sodium diet, they're pouring out huge amounts of sodium in their urine, and we're not putting out sodium in our urine. Right. 
or right. a sweat. So when so we you eat don't a have high the tolerance, right? We don't. We're not tolerant. We can't tolerate it. When we have a mm-hmm. high sodium intake, we're like, wow, I got to drink water all night long, and I can't sleep the whole night. Let me tell you, because, my body's yeah. like reject, reject, yeah. reject. Yeah. Don't do that. And right, I'm like, right. I would love to eat at a restaurant that doesn't do this to me. It would mm-hmm. be very pleasant. But yeah. well, okay, so I have a picture here, and I just pulled. Skinny Pops nutrition facts because I was super curious about like how people should in- interpret food labels and read sodium because I'm always looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure I'm not getting super large amounts of sodium too because it just doesn't feel good presently and I know it's not good for my long term health. But okay, so well, not only super large amounts, I'm saying the amount that's max maximally acceptable yeah. for long term good health is very little free sodium other than what food contains. Right. Body can deal with a little extra, yeah. but not very much. Otherwise, it's going to lead to more risk of chronic disease. And if you and, and, the, and the, us nutritarians are health enthusiasts who don't want to take the risk of chronic disease. We want to, we want maximum protection. And I feel I would be selling people out if I if I um, acquiesced. Acquiesced to their self-destructive habits because then they can still get sick. And I'm promising they don't have to get sick or they do everything right. For sure, you're like, yeah. this is a big problem. Yeah. But for me, so I never add, I don't even have salt in my house, so I never add it to my food. So I feel like, you know, I always go for the low sodium option, but if I'm buying like low sodium veggie broth, there's still like 200 milligrams of sodium, low sodium pasta sauce or any pasta sauce I grab off the shelf in a hurry. Like if I'm at Whole Foods, I'm always kind of just interested in how much sodium's in a product right. if I want it to make my life easier. Right, and there are some pasta sauces with seven, 100 milligrams of sodium per half cup. And if you look, but you can find pasta sauces with 180 milligrams of sodium per half cup. Yeah, there's- They're, they're, they're all over the place. Totally. So, you, so if you're a nutritarian, you're only gonna get that pasta sauce with 180 milligrams of sodium per half cup, not the, but, it's, and, but if, it had, and it's, if it had no sodium added, it wouldn't even have 180, because don't forget the number of calories. If it says, you know, a half a cup of pasta sauce has 100 calories, if there's no added sodium, it will about half as much sodium. If it has more sodium than it has calories, you know they added salt to it. They had to have added salt to it. So you're saying above 50 calories, above 50 milligrams of sodium, we know that they added salt. Above the amount of, if there's more sodium than there is calories in any food, in any okay. serving size, yeah. you know they added sodium because all natural foods have ha- less than half as much sodium per calorie. Right. Right. That's fascinating. And so the amount that's okay, so you can still say under... Eight under nine hundred for if you're a female, under eleven hundred if you're a male. You know, in that favor, in a range before it gets to be disease creating, you, then you can't have more than a couple of hundred milligrams of free of extra sodium into your diet. And I swear, when I'm everything has salt in it. Like I know that's why you made your food products because you just wanted to get your patients and people truly no added salt. No added sodium. So we have so they can and have ketchups like, and sauces and dressings that because you can't find those products. It anywhere. doesn't exist yeah, it doesn't, and it's right. crazy. So if right. I do grab something in a pinch, if I don't have your products on hand, I'm I'm always interested to see like what's my best option. Right. So skinny pop, which you know it's marketed as it's definitely marketed as the healthier popcorn. So I thought uh-huh. it would be a good example, but it is popcorn. So people do want salt, they want oil, they want it on this. Um, so it says, no added sugar, which is good, but it says 260 milligrams of sodium. So 11% of your entire day. And that's without, and that's for one serving. So that's for like five cups of popped popcorn. And by the way, it's so. making it 11% based on a 2000 milligram sodium diet, which is oh. saying is acceptable. And that you're would, saying half of that, so that really would be 22%. 22% if, if they should not have more than 1,000. So that's still a lot of extra sodium. And of course, that's how many calories in that serving? How many calories? 130. So they're getting 260 milligrams of sodium per 130, per 130 calories. It's too much sodium. Now, 
if that's the only sodium you had the entire day and you didn't have any extra tomato sauce with sodium, you had no Ezekiel bread with sodium, you had no must and nothing else with sodium. No Dijon, it, which has no, a lot of sodium. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else, you, it's not so bad. But I prefer probably to, you know, if you try, if it's added to another 260 from this food, another 260 from that food, and another 260 from this food, then, Sorry, to pile up. then it piled up. So, so, so I, it's, I know you said you want us to shoot for like a thousand milligrams of sodium a day and we're getting about like seven. Maximum. Maximum. It's fine to have 400. Really? It's, it's, fine to just, it? it's fine to have no sodium. Most days I have zero extra sodium. Zero added sodium. Zero added getting, sodium. You're getting sodium. I'm getting 400 to 600 or 400 to 700 just in the food I'm eating, the natural okay. foods, the sled, okay. the, the cucumbers, the beans, the nuts, the seeds, the vegetables, the, you know, whatever I'm eating has some sodium in it. So enough, get, enough for the human species. Primates living in the woods don't salt their foods yeah. and they get plenty of sodium and primitive humans in pop, these populations we're talking about that don't salt their food do not have high blood pressure or heart attack deaths in later life and don't see the blood pressure rising as they age. So this is an important concept that people have to get that aging does not raise blood pressure. It's the years you're on salt that raises the blood pressure. Wow. That, yeah, people you know, do not think like blood that. Blood pressure is not associated with aging. It's associated with years, salt years. How many years you're eating excess sodium. Right. That and salt kinda... years means, do we know what salt years means? It means if a thousand is acceptable, then how many thousands did you consume of, over your thousand baseline for how many years? Right. If you had 3,000 of sodium a day, that's 2,000 above the thousand on the baseline. So that's 2,000 times how many years? 20 years? That's 80 salt years. Mm -hmm. If you had 3,000 a day, that's, or if you had 4,000 a day, that's 3,000 above the 1,000 times 30 years. That's 90 salt years. And your risk of having a hemorrhagic stroke or a cardiovascular death related to those salt years added up to your whole life. When you're talking about salt years, it's like exponential growth because these little changes, whether it's like 1,000 or 2,000, you think it's not little day to day. But then as you add it up over 50 or 60 years, it's double. Like, right. you know. People don't recognize the small damage day after day, year after year that causes problems to the body. They don't see disease that way. Right. It's like water runs off the waterfall, off the cliff and hits a rock. And after 30,000 years, the rock splits in two because the water hit it every day, little by little for 30,000 years. It's they don't see that that's what disease is caused by. Little by little, the little you're chipping away, little by little. And then you have some event that causes and then people say, what did I do wrong? What, how did I get cancer? Must have been my divorce. You know, no, it's what you did your whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you, what, right. you know, something, you know. And this stuff is preventable. So like, even, yeah. and even after a diagnosis, it's amazing what nutrition could do. Because even after a diagnosis, it has power to repair their disease. Yes, of just, course. It's just amazing. But I think that there's not many people doing what we're doing. There's not many people Thanks saying. Thanks for including me. In that. What's that? <laughs> Thanks for including me. Yeah, we're doing is we're <laughs> saying that we can protect a body against diseases and we yeah. have the answers. Yeah. But it's not magic. It's not a gimmick. You have to really live a healthy life and you have to do it most and you have to live a healthy life for many decades to earn good health. You can't just buy good health in a pill or a body. You can't go to a doctor and get good health. And you can't be protected from a heart attack with a statin drug or a blood pressure medication. You actually have to live the life and walk the walk and talk the talk. I no. have a good story about this and I want to yeah. remember to share, but I just wanted to ask you one follow-up question before we wrap up. Yeah. So you're saying we get like a few hundred, like around six to 700 milligrams of sodium from naturally occurring foods, from just eating a nutritarian diet with no added salt. So how much salt, like excess salt can I have? Like, do I have to worry about any salt in my products or? Yeah, I'm saying that you're getting around, if you're, let's say you're eating 1500 milligrams of calories a day. Yeah. If you're getting 1500 milligrams, right. you're getting less than half of that in sodium. So you're getting 
about 500, 400 to 600 milligrams of sodium in your diet, 400 to 600. Right. So you can take another two or 300 and still be well below 1,000. If I'm having 2,000 calories a day, which I'm probably not, I'm probably closer to 1,600 to 1,800. Mm-hmm. But if I had 2,000 calories a day, I'd be getting around eight or 900 milligrams of, so- of 800, 700 to 800 milligrams of sodium a day. I still have a couple of hundred extra and still be under 1,000. Right. So we could still have 100, 200, even 300 milligrams of sodium a day from some food that's an addition to what natural foods have that's still going to be protecting us against disease. That's still okay. However, these numbers add up rather quickly. But if you're doing a lot of different things with extra two on the head. Oh my God, it adds up so quickly. And I'm also saying that when you're on a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, your risk of death from a sodium-related cause is increased. It's more likely your death is going to be induced by salt. It's not induced by meat. And are you aware that, for example, that in Asian countries that highly salt their food, the type, they, the number one type of stroke they die of is a hemorrhagic stroke. Okay. In the United States and in Western countries where we have more cheese and bacon and cheeseburgers and meats, our cause of stroke that we get are called ischemic strokes. So ischemic strokes and hemorrhagic strokes are different. How are they different? Well, ischemic strokes are caused by a clot. And they're related to your cholesterol level and how much meat you consume and things. So as your cholesterol goes up, your risk of ischemic stroke goes up. Okay. So the hemorrhagic stroke that happens more in Asian countries, 90% of strokes in these high-sodium Asian countries are hemorrhagic strokes. And those are caused by these fragile blood vessels in the brain breaking open and bleeding into the brain, which can kill the person, cause of death, or keep them in a nursing home um, crippled for the rest of their life. Very severe strokes. Right, a brain stroke is very, yeah, you know it's bad. Now, those strokes, a higher cholesterol level is protective and a lower cholesterol is it makes you at higher risk because the atherosclerosis, the process of atherosclerosis, of building up fat and plaque on the inside and outside of blood vessel wall, walls, right. adds some protection to the wall, thickening the wall so it doesn't break open. Mm-hmm. So more meat in the diet might be more protective against having a hemorrhagic stroke. Right. This is how, for example, the Atkins people or the paleo people, the carnivore people over the years could say, look, having a high cholesterol is better. Reduces strokes. Because look, it reduces stroke deaths for people with higher cholesterol. It's actually low cholesterol increases stroke deaths. Well, they faked you out because they picked a study from an Asian country where people are eating less meat and more sodium. And in those cases, yes, more meat is protective against hemorrhagic stroke because it leads to more atherosclerosis that has some, offers the blood vessels some resistance against breaking. But the salt intake over years that causes the inflammation and microvascular hemorrhaging over the years weakens the interior lining of the blood vessels so it can hemorrhage and break, right. especially when we don't have atherosclerosis from a, from a high cholesterol and eating meat and cheese and bacon. Right. So if you want to not have an ischemic stroke and be on a plant-based diet and not have a hemorrhagic stroke, then you can't heavily salt your food. Because now the vegan person, this person is a vegan, what's their cause of death going to be? Well, if they salt in their food, it could be a hemorrhagic, hemorrhagic stroke. stroke. Why do we want to have offer people a risk of a hemorrhagic stroke? Right. You know, and it's so they might be a little more protected from eating all this junk food, you know, cheeseburgers, meat, all this stuff from a hemorrhagic stroke. But you're saying, but then you have to deal with heart failure and heart disease, heart attack, stints. And, I mean, medication. And, and ischemic stroke. And esteem, let's right, not forget better. that. Right, so right. even though it's better for that but one it, thing. But in this country, 90% of strokes are ischemic strokes. And in Asian countries like... From rural China and Japan, 
90% of strokes are hemorrhagic strokes. Isn't it fascinating that all these health trends are based off literally what people eat? Like yeah, that yeah, we can right. narrow it down to those populations and it differs so much. Right. I mean, the science is right there to save lives. It's insane. Right. And the Catawba Island studies, they show the people that in their population, there's no heart attacks or strokes. And in their ancestors, there's no history of heart attacks and strokes. So even though people may have been salting their food for 5,000 years, they've been having strokes and heart attacks for 5,000 years. When we go back to populations in the country around the world that haven't been salting their food, you don't see any heart attacks or strokes in their ancestors or in the history of those people. Right. The evidence is pretty clear. Right. So what I was going to tell you is when yeah. I was talking to a guest at the retreat, he had a, high, he had a heart attack last year mm -hmm. and... You know, he came to the retreat and he really thought he was going to die. And he was showing me pictures of his hiking trip in Maui and he's off all of his meds, his diabetes meds. And he just couldn't believe it. And just talking to him one-on-one -on -one like that. Because yeah, he was in heart failure last year. Mm -hmm. He was almost d died. Oh, you know, yes. Yeah, and he just he made said, a recovery. Like, he yeah. just said, it's all you. It's all thanks to you. And he was so grateful for what we did. And it just, I mean, I know there's so many people that reach out and thank us, but just like seeing how you affected this person's life, mm -hmm. it was just so beautiful. It's yeah. very cool. So I hope you know that was so cool. And I know you get that all the time, but yeah, I do. It's really, it's really always touching and always, always appreciate that. But it's mm -hmm. nice that I see people, um, in drugstores, at airports, at movies, all over people say, you saved my father, yeah. you saved my mother, yeah. you something happened to you, yeah. you saved my life. Yeah. I'm in, um, it's funny cause I was in, um, Costco with a face mask on. And I had a face mask on. How could they even see me? Yeah. And they said, Dr. Furman, you saved my life. Yeah. So how did you know it was Dr. Furman? I'm wearing a, you know, whatever. It so really fun. works, it's though. So That's yeah. what, it's just so cool. Even when someone thinks they're going to lose their freaking life and they're able to turn it around. It's amazing. Right. And, you, and so. also, you know, doing something not perfect, a little bit off, that helps people get better, but it's not the perfect diet, but it's still in the right direction, helps a lot of people but it doesn't help everybody. Mm -hmm. You want to, you got to give people the most um, effective and perfected viewpoint of nutritional science, because for that person, that little difference could make the difference for them. Right. Whether they have dementia or actually a stroke or whether they really never have a cardiac arrhythmia or go into atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. These little things I talk about that make a nutritarian diet different than other people's recommendations can be critically important for certain people. Right, and we see people, like what's so cool about having the retreat is you see it so in your face. Mm. We see people make little changes and keep coming back to the retreat because they're still having issues and they haven't yeah. got it, they haven't got it, they haven't got it, but they come back three times, they come back four times, and then they, they like get it and they're like, I can do this, like I can do this forever. Yeah. And it's not bad, it's not scary, I know how to do this. And then you see them like transform and you're like, yes. You got it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, a shame that some people didn't get it the first time. But yeah. the food addiction some is, people a, is a, some people most people do, but some people just need a, a, yeah. a refresher. And the cultural, I mean, they're dealing with cultural challenges, spouse challenges. Like there's yeah. so much more around the conversation about food. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, but they can do it. In the end, they always do it. Which and is cool. and don't forget before just to emphasize this, your taste buds get stronger when you're off salt and you enjoy food more, not less. You're not taking the taste out of food. Now artichokes gonna have be more flavor, lettuce is gonna have more flavor. Everything you eat is going to be more flavorful totally. because your taste buds get stronger, not weaker. And I've read research that backs you up on that. Mm -hmm. So I've taken other people's word for it too. Okay, so two questions I have for you are, is spicy food, you know, food that makes your, spices that make your food hot, mm. good for you or bad for you? That's a tough question. But by the way, before I answer that, let's make it clear that drinking hot soups, hot tea, hot coffee, and things that 
are steaming hot, can cause microburns to the oral mucosa and the tongue, increasing risk of throat and tongue and um, oral and oral cancers. So, oh, so we this don't, is a double-edged question. We're going to talk about spicy food and hot the, temperature. The hot, hot food. temperature of hot foods. So we shouldn't have things that are piping hot. They could. And didn't you always tell you me you always yelled at me for burning my tongue or burning my mouth? You said you know it's really dangerous to drink super hot stuff. Right. You don't want to keep burning your mouth. And people who get they get acclimated to these hot substances, they don't feel like they're burning the mouth, really? but they're damaging cells, increasing risk of of um, throat and tongue cancer. And we have a relative who died of tongue cancer. Right. You know. So you're saying those hot beverages can yeah. contribute to you're, that. You have an uncle who died of tongue cancer. Right. And he always had a hot tea next to his desk, by the way, and ate pretty healthfully. You know? mm -hmm. Dang. But anyway, the answer to your question is that in moderate amounts, herbs and spices, even if hot, have anti-inflammatory, have beneficial effects as buying phytochemicals and nutrients to the body. But in excessive amounts, and used too regularly, they can irritate the stomach lining and increase risk of stomach cancer. So the answer is... You can use spices, but don't go overboard. But I don't recommend people use spices much. They can be moderately spicy, but if they use too much spice, it has the effect to work on the taste buds like salt does, and it deadens your taste buds. So you can't really enjoy the flavor from our anti-cancer soup, the subtle flavors with the carrot juice and the pea flavoring and the cashew nut and the onion. You can't tell that rainbow of flavor can't be detected because your taste buds have been deaded by the chronic and heavy use of, of of spice like hot peppers hot, hot stuff yeah, really you want, hot if it's taking over the food completely that's but, where you're like then you like need hot stuff on everything you eat because nothing else has anything any flavor to it mm. because you've weakened your taste muscle right but i mean spices like there's so many spices that are amazing for you right like high in, like turmeric cumin black pepper super healthy um is cayenne good for you like, yeah, but you but you're not so things are super hot right you just know? the balance, just the right yeah. amount. Flavor your stuff. I mean, there's You should notice spices. that if you want to make things, you notice a spice is present or a little hot flavor is present, but not so much a person has to go, Ugh, it's burning my throat. Yeah. Or not so much that every food you eat has that kind of spice on it. Got it. So, okay. All right, I'll do it. That makes it clear. Okay. Um, next question. Can you eat potatoes on a nutritarian diet? And why do potatoes have so much hype around them? I guess because they're cheap, they're simple, easy to make, they taste good, and you know, without much, I think they're... They're natural. They're, yeah, yeah they're it's a natural food, grown yeah. on the ground, better than most other things people are eating. Right. But don't forget, a nutritarian diet is encouraging people to eat a wide variety of foods. Okay. And to eat a diet rich in beans and greens and nuts and seeds, we're, we're rating foods on a hierarchical scale so people can eat more foods that have anti-cancer effects and less foods without those proven anti-cancer effects and nutrient density. Right. So it's not the food on the high, on the high hierarchical scale of anti-cancer benefits. It doesn't compete with bok choy or kale. Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or even quinoa or even, you know, beans have more anti-cancer effects. Sure. So, so um, and for a lot of people we take care of, as you know, have diabetes or metabolic hindrance to weight loss. Mm -hmm. So they're eating more beans because they're more glycemically favorable and they're eating less potato. But we make a great, like, cauliflower, we make, make, make cauliflower mashed potato, for example, where I make eight cups of cauliflower, one Yukon gold potato, that's eight to one potato, so you lower the that's calories, lower the, and I have fried onion in there by frying onion in a hot pan with no oil, and we have a little spinach in there. And you a mean little, sauteed onion, not fried. Just sauteed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no coating on it, just chopped onion in a hot pan yeah. with no oil, just saute it so it glistens, right. mix it in with the cauliflower and the baked, um, or boiled Yukon gold potato, right. and then you put in a little spinach, a little of the garlic nutter, you know, roasted garlic, with a little bit of the hemp and cashew. And the You're nutrition. getting me hungry for it. You and make, make it all the time. I can make a delicious mashed potato. Then the one Yukon gold potato into the eight cups of cauliflower, serving for now for eight people. You had one eighth of a potato, mm -hmm. and you have low-calorie meal. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. So 
um, obviously really tastes really great. Yeah. You can use well, some, you can dilute, you can mix it. Like, so what you're just saying is you're mixing it with onions and, and cauliflower, cauliflower, these That's higher right. nutrient foods. Yeah, so you're yeah. making like what would be lower nutrients, just like with a pack more of a nutrient punch, right. essentially. And yeah. it tastes just as good, it, if not better. I mean, right. it's so good. And I can keep, right. So we're talking about having more nutritional variety mm-hmm. and more intake and not having a rice-based diet or a potato-based diet right. or a grain, having all, one food be the base of your diet. Right. We're trying to have a diet that has a lot of different variety of different types of foods in it because that wide variety, especially those foods that have proven lifespan enhancing effects like G-bombs. Heck yeah. Yeah. Nice. That was a good, good answer. Okay. I approve. Okay. So with that, thanks for joining us for this episode on salt. We will be back here next month. Good luck, everybody.